I have the copy of the Stasi files. And my husband turned to me and he says, do you know what you did at the, the border there at the Berlin Wall? And I said, no. He says, you pointed at them and you said, now I know who killed my father. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. We return to Ramona Reed's account of her father, Dean Reed, who was an American actor, singer, songwriter, director and socialist who became a huge star in Latin America and the Eastern Bloc. Now, if you like the podcast, you can help support us for the price of a couple of coffees a month. You'll be helping to cover the show's increasing costs and keep us on the air. Plus, you get the sought-after Cold War Conversations coaster too. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. If that's not your cup of tea, you can also help us by placing a written review on iTunes. This helps us raise our profile and get new guests on the show. So back to today's episode. Ramona continues the story with details of the latter years of her father's life, as well as her theories about his death. We welcome Ramona back to our Cold War conversation. Do you get the impression from from his letters and 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 your research that he discovered that that life in East Germany wasn't the perfect socialist life he he perhaps thought it was going to be? Did he have doubts? I believe that he recognized in every country, in America, in Eastern Bloc, in South America, that there's pros in, in a simplistic manner that there were pros and cons to every company, uh, government. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think he, uh, like I said before, he would, you know, he wasn't, as he stated in 60 Minutes, you know, he, he wasn't so excited about the lack of freedom. Of, of voice and 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 criticism in the Eastern Bloc that it was you know in his eyes too controlled and um, but then he didn't like the America you know capitalist and and huge corporations that would take money and all of it and then leave the people that were actually selling their goods to live in such horrible conditions. So I think in every country he lived in, there was good and bad. Mm. And so, you know, at, you mentioned at the end there, he had always stated, and he told me many times, and we, uh, we were excited because we had rekindled in 1985. So he had written a song for me and, and I, I had a boyfriend that I was missing all the time. I was a teenager. And, um, I, he would say, you know, the thing is, I don't want to die in a foreign country. I want to go back to the Colorado mountains. He would, he would say that he would like just the simplicity part of things of where he can go to a market and hear English. Mm. Cause it'd been over two decades where that wasn't the case. So, and, and as he would say, you could take the boy out of the country, but never the country out of the boy. And, and so he, 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 I think 
don't know if he would say this, but I think he kind of felt the change. Change was coming. And I think at that time he was like, you know what? This is again, you know, he was in his forties, fifties, forties, 46, 47. And he decided, you know what, if I'm ever going to try and, and, and make a difference in America, it, it it's probably now let's do this now. Cause I don't want to regret it. So let, let's, let's film the last film here and and then let's let's move to to Colorado to my homeland yeah and 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 he wanted what a lot of people don't know and i haven't shared this with a lot of people is um i found letters and i'm, I'm not going to cry but i found letters that he was writing to my mom and they were planning for him to surprise me at my graduation. Wow. So in June, in June, the same month that I believe, you know, it's still a mystery death, but some, I don't believe it was suicide, but um, in June, he was going to fly out and surprise me at my graduation. This is not a man that's, you know, planning a suicide. This is a man that is He's spending time with his friends in America. This is a man that he wants to rekindle with his daughter and, and had a great time, you know, discovering what I liked and, and the things that, you know, and I wasn't afraid I was a risk taker too. And he was so happy about that. And so, so we, we really, really connected and, and so it's just, it, it, it's really unfortunate that it didn't happen. And, and I believe Someone in a high level office said, okay, that's enough. <laughs> and that, that was that. And it, it sucks. Yeah. Put it plainly. Yeah. No, again, again, I appreciate you sharing, um, that, that insight, um, with us because I, you know, obviously that, that was an area we, we, we were, um, going to, to come to and i think i'd i'd like to just talk about that though you know the 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 okay. mid 80s um in in a moment how how often did he travel back to the us and did he have problems coming back into the country do you know no you know he, because of his american now listen he was watched right everybody was watching him yeah. <laughs> all governments were watching this guy and so um so but the funny thing is, he really didn't have any problems just going back and forth. And um, and did this cause, cause problems? Well, you know, I think the only time that uh, CIA overstepped their bounds and they kind of learned, ooh, you know, this this is not going to be a good idea just because he's he's so big is uh, in the 1960s when he was protesting against the atomic testing uh, testing. And, um, and that's when they threatened to take away his passport and um, all his friends in Hollywood got together, uh, wrote a letter, all everybody signing it, uh, including higher ups in, in South America and around the world, really. And, um, and actually pushed down and had CIA respond with, we never said that. Hmm. Well, of course we have it in writing, but, um, and so they didn't take it away. That, that was the only real big threat, if you want to call it a big threat. It didn't come to, you know, to life, but, but, 
And then in, in when he did the Minnesota protest for um, the electrical wires, uh, the company there, and for the farmers against the farmers, uh, yeah, he was jailed. But he'd been arrested many times before that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so this this was another uh, another way to to bring attention to something that was really uh, not a good idea, and. Um, but they never threatened him to take his passport uh, after 1960s. Uh, they, you would have thought that maybe then they would have said, you know, well, that's it. But I, I, I don't think they wanted him to stay here. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I think they wanted him. You know what? Go. Yeah. We're we're going to release you, and you know, go back yeah. and and so. You know, I think it was something yeah, like that. Yeah. How how often did you visit him in the Eastern Bloc? You know, I was there uh in seventy five or seventy-three. Seventy-three, there's this great uh excerpt of uh a video of the World Youth Festival in nineteen seventy-three that someone sent to me that I love. I posted it on my Facebook and um he brought me and he um I'm in a cute little outfit and we're singing to an audience and he's got me involved in it. And of course I'm waving, I'm a big ham, but, um, but anyway, so um, I was there in 73 and, and he, if I wasn't going there, he was coming to me. Right. So, and then it's in 75, him and Vipka uh, picked me up from, from uh, San Diego and they took me to San Francisco and there's a great picture, another great picture of, I think him and his friends got together in San Francisco and they were protesting against something. And so he was singing and I'm in the background pointing my finger at somebody and looks like I'm yelling at them. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like seven years old. (laughs) I'm just like, you ought to (laughs) know. And so, um, but it was it was at least once or twice every other year something like that. Either he would come to us or I I would come right. to them. And, w- and what was it like going to to see him? I mean, you described that incident when you were I think seventeen in in Red Square. But you know what was it a similar reaction if if you were with him in in East Germany as well? Yeah, yeah. You know, they at checkpoint the famous checkpoint Charlie. Um, and I noticed him when this, when I was 17, you know, he picked me up in West Berlin at the airport and then he, he would try to tell me the significance of checkpoint Charlie. But, you know, again, I was, you know, at that point missing my boyfriend and, 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 but excited to be with my dad. But he said, okay, we're, we're going to checkpoint Charlie. We're going to go through it. And you know what? They didn't even stop us. They just wa- waved him through. You know, I mean, he, he, so there was nothing there. There was, you know, they didn't check our passports. They didn't do any of that kind of stuff. Now it was different. And everybody, his, his neighbors, his, you know, the town he lived in, everybody loved him. And we had such a great time. We all got together at that point. uh, Natasha was probably, that's his other daughter Mm -hmm. from Vipka. Um, She was probably, oh gosh, 10 years old. And and then of course Sasha, um, Renata's son, and we would get together for barbecues and things like that. Just a typical kind of family get together. Now, when I came back in 1986, 
it was a completely different atmosphere. And that's when my mom and I went for his funeral and, and everything was, was going on. I had stayed an extra week and, um, and Renata was taking me to the West Berlin airport and we had to go through checkpoint Charlie. They no longer wanted to, to entertain, you know, and, and push us through and, and let us go through. They kept us for over two hours and laughed at us. And, um, and she was crying and, and it was a scene and they would not let me through to West Berlin. And, and then we were just reading, I have the copy of the Stasi files and my husband turned to me and he says, do you know what you did at the, the border there? And I said, at the Berlin Wall, and I said, no. And he says, you pointed at them and you said, now I know who killed my father. Wow. <laughs> and I said, you're kidding. I said that. And he said, according to them, you did. <laughs> and I said, well, clearly I have his passion and his, <laughs> you know, his, his emotions that kind of overtook me. And I, I probably didn't understand you know, what that really meant. At yeah. The time too. Why do you think they were so obstructive? Because you, you would imagine that they would be sympathetic to you because of the, the circumstances. You know, I don't know if they, you know, it's one of those things that I don't know, you know, I, I, I'm going to guess here, but I don't know if it was one of those things that, you know, finally they don't have to be nice to the American, you know, and, uh, and I, I would think that, you know, the, the whole country really loved him, but for some reason, they it just changed. And not with the people, but with the officials. It absolutely changed. And and like you said, you would think that they would want me, you know, leave, hurry up and leave. We don't want you to find anything because when my mom and, and his mom was there, boy, they really got involved in, in uh, trying to find out what the, the issue or how he died. That's really interesting about those 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 visits. And you also mentioned the um, the the Stasi files. So have you seen his file? Yes. You know, it took me a lot to get through it because it is it's like a born movie. You know, the the born uh, movies. Yeah. It is it is espionage to a whole different level. And then when you, when you can only read a page at a time, cause you're just, you can't believe the amount of surveillance that they would get involved in and, and set up and, and it was, and, and it was astounding to me. Not only that, but it, it was said that if you had a dinner party of eight people, two or three of those people were informants. Mm. And it, I mean, so, and, and you have to, at first, when I first read it, I was, you know, emotional. I couldn't believe it. And, and I felt, you know, kind of this betrayal, you know, people just coming in and, and listening to every phone call and, and reporting on every movement, but um, including uh, his wives. And that, that upset me. But then when I started to research, you know, at the end of the day, you're living in, in the country that if people call you in, and they start asking questions, they can either give you a good life or take things away and not just all at once, but subtly. And 
so, you know, he, she was an actress, you know, she depended on, on her getting roles because she loved to act. You know, I don't know what those private conversations were like, but I know that they started taking away at the end there, they started taking away for his last film. They took away his financing. Then uh, an actor dropped out. Then another actor dropped out. It was as much as they threw at him when they, you know, he was the shiny bright penny when he first came. Mm -hmm. Now they're taking away. And they had that power. And it, it, it was very scary. And I couldn't imagine really being in that situation in his camp or being uh, related to him and, you know, and having to feel like your life was threatened at all times. Yeah. And what, what, what would you do? You know, it's, it's, what would you do if, if they called you in and said, you know, you have to tell us what he said last night. You have to tell us this and this and that. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't feel like you have any kind of power, or any kind of, you know, um, independent, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think you're, think you're, word, you're, you're right. I mean, it, it's difficult to imagine what you would do in that situation. I think you, you, with in looking at it from the present day, you'd like to think that you would not provide information. But if you're under that sort of yeah. psychological as well as, you know, emotional blackmail like that from, from the Stasi, you know, you'd you know you know it, it's the the comparisons i've heard from other people i've spoken to is where you know that you you would have been told well your children won't go to university and we'll demote you out of your job unless you just tell us a little bit of information about what what was you know being said and it's that yeah. gradual sort of pressure there and and getting you used to giving them information and then they ask for more and more and they've obviously got your name on a piece of paper and we can tell your friends that you're an informer and you know all of that you know that that blackmail yeah and 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 that's that's exactly right and i say subtle but real gradual just like you said Everything was very gradual and, and I'll give you a little of this. If you give me a little of that. And, and um, it was very scary because they controlled medical, they controlled schools, they controlled everything. So, I mean, it wasn't just your life that would change. It would be your daughter or your son. And what other yeah. choice did you have if you were an East Eastern citizen and and so I started to think about things like that, and and uh, it didn't make it any better, but 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 I understood uh, more, and um, yeah, yeah, it, it was it was very scary times. I, d I noticed that your father was very good friends with um, Phil Everly, and I've seen a short bit of video on YouTube where uh, Phil Everly talks about uh, coming over to do a concert in East Berlin and Phil Everly describes himself as a, as a Reagan fan. And I just wondered how, how your father sort of reconciled, you know, that those two gaps in ideology amongst their obvious, uh, quite close friendship. Yeah. You know, the, the wonderful thing about having differences of opinion is also having respect for others who have a, a different opinion than yours. 
and being able to to disagree with respect and and that kind of thing and and Phil actually would say you know that you know we clearly disagreed on certain things but we were always able to to talk about it give our comments but really just end up enjoying our friendship and having you know great times doing you know music concerts and and things like that so it it with those types of people that were able to set aside certain differences and just enjoy each other um that was something he was interested in and that's you know, he, he liked people like that. And Phil Everly was, you know, he, he was a friend from America and he was a musician and, and he was a lot of fun. And the, the things that I've read and, and the letters that I've, I've read to my mom, you know, it really was, it was like your best friend coming to visit you and just, you know, here we go. And, and, and it was just a party all the time. Yeah. That's a good, that's a great video of them both performing. I was thinking Karl Marx stat. And you can see they are yeah. clearly really enjoying themselves. Yeah, and 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 and, and there was an excerpt from a, an interview with Phil, and he would say, you know, I've never seen someone who is more loved by so many people. Um, but it doesn't just stop there. That's that that person is multi generational. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week to be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War. As a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. So his audiences were from 10 years old all the way to 70, 80. And he said, you know, it's very hard in Hollywood. You, you, everyone asks you, who's your audience, you know, and, you, and you're boxed in. And then you hope that they stay with you throughout your journey as you get older. But he, he said, you know, he had, there were all kinds of ages at his concerts. And he just, he, he saw that and said, you have to give respect to a man that not only, you know, has that kind of following, but then also takes that platform and does some good and, and connects that much with the people risking his life at every turn. And, um, and so, and, and that's how he felt. And, and I, I thought that was really, really great that he, he saw that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a, it's an interesting, uh another insight into into your father's character that you know that he continued that that friendship there despite the political you know uh differences between the two of them right um right i I also noted that he that your father did a concert in minnesota in 
1985, which I, I think was his only concert outside the Eastern Bloc since something like the 1960s. What do you have any insight as to as to why why he did that or why he felt the need to do that? No, I I, I think it was you know they were a year out in planning his uh, not comeback but planning him coming back to. Colorado and hitting hitting Hollywood and and um and Nashville and New York. So he had a team here that would work with him and getting the you know the demo package together so that they could send to American uh, music companies and things like that. So I think it was just all um, getting together with the right people. So he would come back and forth. He would go to New York. He'd go to Denver, Minneapolis. Um, he was premiering American Rebel at that time. Um, he was doing interviews for Entertainment Tonight, of course, 60 Minutes. You know, he was he was in the planning stage of of moving back here. And he was hoping that, you know, he would be able to get a contract or a film contract or something. And um, because he was ready at that time. Mm-hmm. Right. So before before this, um, he. You know, he was he was enjoying his, you know, love for Renata and their marriage in the 80s and um, and doing the films that he wanted to do, pick the 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 causes that he wanted to to work with. Um, but then at a certain point in the mid 80s, that's when he he noticed that this is not where I want to be. And, and I think that, you know, he was just it was part of the plan. Right, right. And and do you think that he felt he was losing his popularity in Eastern Europe at that point? Is that is that why he he thought he needed to go? Or is just general just homesick for Colorado? I I with uh, Papa's story or Dean's story, it's always complex. It's not black or white, right? So there's I think there's a lot of factors that came in. One of them being what you just mentioned. Um, I think, you know, at that point, you know, I think Elton John and, and Bon Jovi and, and there were certain people that were starting to come over and, and giving concerts. I remember it was really funny. He would, and I don't know how many people appreciate this or not, but I remember being in the car and um, born in the USA, he had gotten a, a, a tape of born in the USA and by Bruce Springsteen. And he would put it in and he said, I don't understand what, 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 what's the big deal? You can't even understand the words he's saying. (laughs) (laughs) He would would just be like, I don't know. I don't know what the song is about. Is he telling a story? Is it a love song? Is it, what what is it? (laughs) So, and when you listen to Bruce Springsteen, we all love him, but you know, you would kind of go, Oh yeah. I don't know what those words are really, but you know, except for born in the USA. (laughs) So, um, so he's, you know, he was, I think there's a point in every actor's career or or songwriter's career where they're maybe playing catch up a little bit. Yeah. And I think, I think there was a point there 
Now the Stones, I don't know how they're doing it, right? They're never playing catch up. I mean, they're the Stones. <laughs> they're going to have sold out shows until in wheelchairs. <laughs> so, I mean, but I think there's a point that you're trying to figure out, okay, what, what's my next move? I'm getting a little older, you know, everything's about your, your looks and, and that kind of, especially in Hollywood. And remember, he's trying to break in to Hollywood with his stardom that he had here at 46. And so, um, so I think there's, it's all of that, you know, and also the, the thing that he, he was ready to yeah. come home. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think there's just a lot of things that we're starting to point in the direction of, okay, so we, we've done a lot here. I'm very happy. My, my two homes are the Eastern Bloc and Chile. And, but, but where I actually mm. came from, I want to go back there. Well, I guess if, if he was, uh, looking at, Springsteen's music in that way. I dread to think what he thought of punk. <laughs> I, I I think that he'd look at his son uh, Sasha, and he 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 would because I remember Sasha would be dressed up and all this stuff, go out with his friends, and 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 because I wasn't into punk, and and I'd look at that, and and he'd look at that, and he was like, well, it is what it is. I mean, I guess this is where we're going, and so and you know he was the folksy kind of, I mean, rock and roll, but really western kind of country songs and and that kind of stuff, and love songs. Oh my God, his love songs were beautiful. And but, you know, people were really, you know, uh, expressing themselves uh, finally in the way that they wanted to. And um, it, in that time. And, and so I think, yeah, I'm sure he was, th- he was thinking about how it's going to impact him and what his next move is. I would I would imagine someone asked me, you know, what would you think that he would be doing today? You know, uh, what would he be doing? and I'll tell you what, he had a voice and he loved to share his views. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I think he would he would jump on uh, the guns control. He would jump on that. He would play at every concert he could and 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 the women's movement and the border. And and he would you know, anyone who would listen to his stories, you know, and, and, and listen to his songs and play the guitar. He would take that opportunity still today. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I th- think you're right certainly from the you know what what you've been saying about his his character. Um I would I would tend to agree with with that view. Um you you you, you mentioned um a little while back 60 minutes and I think it's 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 an an interesting area to talk about. Uh for the UK listeners CBS's 60 minutes is like an interview program and um dean reed was interviewed i think in 86 during that interview he did defend the construction of the berlin wall and i believe he praised soviet intervention in afghanistan i haven't seen the full interview so i'm i'm sort of picking this up from um others who've who said they they've seen the the full interview Looking at that list and thinking that he was thinking of moving back to the US, it, it m- makes me wonder how wise it was to do an interview like that. But but then again, you said, you know, he was going to speak his mind no matter what. Well, you know, it, it's very hard to to harness him, right? I mean, so, so there was a, a couple of, of very good close friends of his that said, hold on, Dean, that, that's – 
you know, nowadays you, you have, like I said, your publicist, you have your business manager, your regular manager, you have all these people that are doing prep meetings to prep you and, and that kind of thing. Well, his friends would kind of tell him maybe this is not a good idea, or maybe, you know, why don't, why don't we hold back some of the, the viewpoints that you have? And cause it may not be received well. Um, so unfortunately, Unfortunately or fortunately, you know, I recently uh, looked at the 60 Minutes, the whole entire thing, and he was truly ahead of his time. He really was. And because now looking back at the 60 Minutes, it really is not that big of a deal. It's, you know, when he's saying, you know, when, when Mike said something about, you know, well, what about the Berlin Wall? And he said, well, I believe that every country has the right to defend themselves. And, and I mean, look at what we're doing with Mexico, with Tijuana here in, in, in Los Angeles, you know, it's like they want to build a big wall and, and that kind of thing. So I think it's, it's just the way he, he thought, um, what the reasons were and, and what he believed in. And, you know, when he, when Mike brought up, well, you know, are you interested in politics? And when you come back here and, and, and Boulder, and he said, why not? You know, and now look at what we're dealing with. We're, we're talking about socialism on a regular basis. You know, we're, we're more open-minded these days. You know, I think if, if, if we didn't have Democrat and Republican, or if we had both of them, there would be a mm. third party. Like there is not the independent party more so today than ever before, because everyone's tired of everything government at this point. And so, um, so I just think that, you know, he spoke his mind. He was ahead of his times. If you showed that clip today, I don't think people would be ruffled all that much. You know, the feathers wouldn't be ruffled that much. It's just, you know, this is a person who, who believes in people and what's mm. best for them. And not the big corporations, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to to look at the interview in its entirety to be to be honest, because I'm you know I've I've only seen a short snapshot of it. Exactly, exactly. And I really think that again, he was ahead of his time. And I think if you look at it today, or people looked at it today, it you know people tend to what I've noticed is people tend to you know jump on all the bad stuff. You know, they the obvious things uh, being correct or not. Right. I mean, it may not be a fact, but, you know, people will jump on it because it's different or they were taught that it was bad. And this person is saying that it's good. So um, so I, I just think the mindset is is in the I think the mindset's different. Nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Because this was only a few weeks um, before his death. He, the, this um, this was filmed as well. Well, so so the the timing of it is uh, Mike Wallace went to East Berlin in the in the winter of 1985 mm-hmm. and and shot it, and then it was aired in April of 1986. And you're right. And then in June, on the way to his director's house, took over some notes. He disappeared, and three days later was found in the lake. As we've already commented, you don't subscribe to the suicide theory and you've certainly given some quite compelling evidence in amongst the correspondence that that you've seen with with your mother that you know he he certainly wasn't in 
uh, didn't certainly didn't apparently appear to be in a suicidal fra- frame of mind. Well, I was talking with an expert, an actual an ER manager uh, in hospitals, and she was telling me that people that do commit suicide, they're wrapping things up. Mm. <laughs> you know, they're they're wrapping things up and they're, you know, and then if, if they're going to plan it, that's what they're doing. They're not planning for, you know, to for a comeback in Hollywood and to to go to a daughter's graduation to do all that kind of stuff. And let me tell you something. I, I want to get this in is that everyone that says and says, oh, I believe it was a suicide. I have asked them point blank, face to face, most of the time, saying, "Okay, walk me through that," and, 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 and in a very nice way, saying, "Listen, I'm a visual girl. Just walk me through what that night looked like." And no one—it's almost like people jump on a bandwagon because there's a suicide note, and while it was in his handwriting, really, you don't think the government can can copy his handwriting? You know, and and so they can do anything they want to do if they want to do it. So no one can seem to walk me through realistically through that night for a suicide. Mm. And 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 it's not just that; it is everything else that is going on in that environment at that time. I just, I you know, I I just it it feels very suspicious to me. It feels like in an office, it would be easy for someone to say, okay, that's enough. Yeah. I mean, people, and, and, and I read an article recently, um, and it was talking about, um, you know, uh, cosmonauts and, and, and actors and musicians that died in the Eastern Bloc, and, and, and they had tragic deaths, but all of them were cata- categorized as accidental deaths. All of them were. Mm. And so that was almost like their go to. And I'm not I'm not blaming, you know, uh, GDR. I'm not I'm not blaming Russia or America because I'm sure we weren't excited for him to come back. Mm. (laughs) And so, you know, I, I think it was, you know, I think it was just, you know, he took so many risks. He uh, said so many things. He was not afraid. And uh, he was planning a international press conference uh, that Saturday. He left on a Friday night that Saturday. He was going to disclose something. So who know, he he was uncontrollable at this point. And I'm sure that 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 was that was that. Someone had told me, and I never heard this this phrase before. You probably have, but that he had the tiger by the tail. Right. Do you know yeah, that yeah. phrase? Yeah. I never heard it. And I just recently heard it. And so, I mean, he had that tiger by the tail for many decades. And, but at some point you got to let go, you got to let go. And that, t- that tiger is yeah. not going to run. But I guess it, it sounds like <laughs> maybe he was yanking the tail and the, the press conference was to, I don't know, announce something which, the East German regime didn't want announced. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, or, I mean, you could reframe that a lot of different ways. Maybe he was just playing with the tail. 
Maybe he was yanking the tail. I mean, there's a lot of different, you know, maybe he was distracted and pulled on it too hard and let go and and the tiger came around. I mean, there's a lot of different, I mean, again, it's all speculation, but, but I, I, I don't think that I definitely feel like I can rule out suicide. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, I think there's something else going on now. Who was involved? I don't know. Everybody had a little part to play if they wanted to. The pieces were there, and it wouldn't have been hard. Hmm. Have you got hold of his CIA file through Freedom of Information or anything like that? Well, so that's an interesting story. (laughs) I (laughs) I know. Here we go. (laughs) Yeah. I've got plenty of space on this disc to keep recording. <laughs> I, I don't know how you're going to do it. But anyway, so so here I go, right? I'm thinking I'm just going to learn about my father. And, and then a producer friend of mine comes comes to me and said, listen, because I was very defensive at that uh, uh, early on. I was like, well, he didn't. Uh, and I was very de- I was defending him at all, all ways. And and the producer said, now, hold on. You know, you need to take the good with the bad. You need to learn about really what's going on behind the scenes. And, and so, and, and I thought about it, I said, you're right. So Freedom of Information Act came about a couple of years ago or four years ago, something like that. So I requested from CIA and FBI, you know, his file. Well, CIA gave me his file. Now, of course, most of it was redacted. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> and so, but FBI, if you're listening, <laughs> FBI, you declined me twice. They're always listening to this show, Ramona, <laughs> so they'll get the message. Okay. So you they declined me twice saying he was of security concern. What does that mean? Still. <laughs> yeah. How can he still be of security concern and not? I don't know. I, I don't. Because you'd imagine you'd at least get something back that might be redacted. Yeah, exactly. Into an, yeah. Exactly. And, and just to actually maybe, you know, uh, you know, get me off their back kind of thing. But um, I, I, I wanted to pursue it. I haven't yet. I will. And, and, and there's my father coming out uh, in me. I will. And, um, but yeah, they declined me and I went, Hmm, I wonder what that's about. And so, <laughs> so that's interesting. We well, have to have you back on when you get hold of that. <laughs> yeah. Let me, but of course, you know, like you said, most of it will be redacted, but they'll, you know, they'll say, Oh yeah, but we gave it to you. Uh, well, uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know whether you listened to my interview with Victor Grossman. I did. <laughs> oh, good. Good. And he only dropped in at the last minute of the interview um, how closely he'd, he'd worked with, with your father, which um, and I didn't really have a chance to pursue any, any further questions with him, which was a real shame. Are you still in contact with him? Yeah, isn't he great? I love Victor. In fact, uh, he was here a couple months ago um, promoting his new book, as I'm sure yeah. that's that's one of the reasons he was on your show. Um, and uh, we ended up going to dinner, and and uh, you know, I just I I love him. I really love him because, as you found out too, boy, he's got story after story. 
<laughs> yeah, and he's and he's outspoken as well. He's not afraid to uh, speak his mind about you know how you know the past and the present. Um, well, and, as well. And, to, and to your point on that. You know, um, until I went to the uh, Q&A event um, at the Vende Museum and saw him, you know, speak and then take questions, you know, I was a little hesitant. You know, how is, you know, how am I going to reframe the story about my dad? And in certain situations where, you know, I'm just even kind of cringing a little bit and and um but then when I went and saw him live speaking in front of people and how honest and genuine and authentic he was and and he wasn't holding anything back and it was fine. You know, they didn't lynch him. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't go at him. And it, it really showed me that we are ready. We are ready for a people's hero. We are ready to hear other other ways of living, and um, I loved uh, experiencing that and and getting that off my shoulders. That worry, some of you know what 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 if people think bad about my father, and so um, so yeah, he he he's really great. I did have one question, last question for you. And it was it was on my list of questions, but I just wanted to hear from you that you know what what is your most prized memory of your father, Dean Reed? My favorite, um, and and it's there's uh, several, of course, because when you're with him, uh, it is exciting. It is an exciting time. It's always exciting, and he's always moving, and he's always so physical and and wants to go dancing or wants to go doing something and and uh and so one of my prized memories and possession is for my 18th birthday which is in May of 1986 a month before he had sent me a a private tape he was uh uh producing an album they called it a long play in Prague and he had written and sang this song just for me. And he actually talks to me in the studio on this tape. And he says things like, hi, Ramona, happy love day. You know, I'm in a little village outside of Prague working on my long play. I wrote this song and want to sing it for you, just for you today. And then he sings this amazing, beautiful love song. And, And then afterwards he, you know, says, happy birthday. I love you very much. But that, because, I mean, he's in the studio, so it's, you know, it's bigger than life, his voice. And and I put it on a CD, and now I have it in my computer and my phone. And I never shared it really with anybody. And and I just, I love it so much. Uh, Memory-wise, um, you know, was the year before. You know, spending a month with him, getting to know him and his family. and And then going to Moscow and suddenly being catapulted to a level of where I can't be alone that, you know, someone always has to be with me and, and because of his fame and because of the people there and they were so welcoming and so loving. Um, But there was a, there was a, there was an interview that I was with him. And before the reporters came, he said, now, listen, you know, they may ask you some questions 
And but if you don't want to answer it, you just say that you're just here, you know, being with your father and enjoying the country. And he said, but you don't you don't feel like you're forced to answer any political questions. That's not your that's not what you're here for. And and so um, and indeed, they did ask a a question or two. But um, it was just he was so encouraging. Uh, The last thing was um, when my grandmother died, his mother. I got in the mail and this is really, it will send goosebumps on everybody listening. I received in the mail, this bracelet, a gold bracelet from my mother to him when they were together. And of course, you know, she says, I love you, your wife, your mistress, your everything, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and then this year I found a a picture where they're together and, and she's directing someone to smile and he's got a camera and he's taking a picture. He's got the bracelet on. It is, it's on my phone as my screen, you know, saver, whatever that is. And, and I love the connection. So I wear that all the time and he's with me. It's his energy. And I, I just, I, I adore that. So it's those things that are most precious for me. Wow, that's that that's that that's a great story, Ramona. You've you've really given us a a detailed portrait of your father. I think you've portrayed excellently his his warmth and his his love for his family, but also how he viewed his beliefs and how how he pursued his life. And uh, I think the listeners of the podcast are are very lucky to hear that from you and from particularly from somebody who was so close to him and uh, and knew him firsthand. Yeah, and I think it's about time that we have a docu-series, don't you think? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I heard that didn't Tom Hanks buy the rights to one of the books to make a film about your father? Yes, we were all under contract there for quite many years um and uh for i think 10 12 years and he went through many scripts and um i am uh in contact with them still to this day uh he makes it a point to to always say to me and and also his uh partner and producer Gary Goatsman um and it's easy here cuz i'm i'm in hollywood and my work is entertainment so um, it's been easy to connect and stay connected, but, uh, they're very much still interested in the story. It's just financing the rights, you know, and this is very Hollywood financing the rights for 12 years and not getting one script that, that is good. You know, uh, the financiers start to back off and say, okay, well, we're not going to pay anybody anymore until you get a script. <laughs> And, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but they're very much still interested. Um, I think they're they kind of they're looking to me now, or anybody else that uh, wants to partner with me, but is looking to me to either come up with a script, or I'm working on two books, and and um, and I, and you have to think also at that time he was struggling, uh, meaning uh, Hanks and Goatsman. They were struggling with telling the entire story. There's so many facets of the story that are so spectacular on their own. Yeah. And so, and in a two hour window for a movie, you know, it was very hard to kind of just, you would have to pick a, a, 
either it's going to be the Hollywood story or the Eastern Bloc story or the South American story. It was hard to put it all in in a two-hour segment. So now that the genre has changed to films is no longer, you know, that's where everybody goes to. Now it's Netflix where you're doing docu-series and, and now you can tell the entire story and have it on Netflix. When, yeah. So that is now the genre has changed to where you can tell this story in its entirety. And um, so I think now is a really great time to to tell the human story of Dean Reed, not the red Elvis or the and I brought it up, the red Elvis or, you know, the the sensationalized part of things. It's also the human story because that was most of his life that was what he was about was his humanitarian side that's what it was all about and so i'd like to tell that story so anyway, yeah. yeah yeah no it would make it would make a great netflix series i mean I think you so. know the, the the success of and i know this is a completely different subject but it is cold war related but the chernobyl series on yes. hbo that they did, which you'd never think people would actually go and, and I mean, I don't know how they managed to pitch that, to be honest. Um, you know, we're going to film it. It's going to look very Russian. It's, <laughs> you know, how they got that over the line. But it's the most, I read somewhere, it's one of the most successful miniseries ever. Yeah, and of course it is, right? It's, it is the projects, and I've been in this business for uh, more than 30 years, if you take risks, it's got to be risky. There's got to be something. Of course, you have the fluffy kind of movies and and, and whatever uh, TV series, but the comedies and whatever. But if you take some risks, and, and sometimes Gary Goatsman would tell me, Mona, it takes a long time. Don't put yourself so, you know, because I'm very hard on myself. He said it can take up to 10 years for something to get going because you keep pitching it and pitching. You hear these stories where these you know, Oscar winning movies took 15 years to make because, mm. you know, some, you're, you're always saying no, you know, or not you, but the studio is always saying no. And then you find someone who just believes in it and boom, you know, it happens. You have to work for it to be successful. And I, I think, I think now just that Chernobyl was amazing, by the way, I, I saw that. And I think now it's just, I think we're ready to hear it. I think it'd be more accepting than before. And I think we have the right genre. So, so yeah. I'm working on it. Well, I'm let's on pitch it. the perfect alignment there. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'd, I'd, I'd definitely be, uh, be, uh, be watching that avidly. Um, Ramona, Listen, you. I have taken far too much of your time, but it has been amazing to speak to you and oh, and hear and, and hear Dean's Dean's story. Because what what I'm finding is, whilst you can read about people in books and stuff like that, to actually hear from somebody who's either met the person or you know is is or has experienced um, that period is is far more enlightening than than any history book so uh i really appreciate your time um well, absolutely and i i have been thrilled and i've been listening to you i'm a fan of yours and so i'm i'm very much thrilled to be on your show and and um 
I'm, I'm glad you're you're putting this all in the forefront so we can have firsthand experience and listening to other people's experience and, and how they grew up in their journeys. And it's it's also fascinating. If you like what you're hearing, sign up to our email list at coldwarconversations.com. We have further photos, video and information on this episode in our show notes, which will show as a link in your podcast app. Don't forget, if you'd like to get that Cold War Conversations coaster and help keep us on the air, head over to coldwarconversations.com slash donate, or again, click on the link in your podcast app. If you can't wait for the next episode, visit our Facebook discussion group, where listeners just like you continue the Cold War Conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye. not enjoying the ads well you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate by becoming a monthly or annual supporter you'll enjoy ad-free listening become a part of our community receive the sought after cold war conversations drinks coaster and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve cold war history just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information